Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm Greg B, joined today by Jacob. Hello. And we are going to be reviewing Reef, the new game from Emerson Matsuchi. But first, let's talk about what we've been playing. So we actually have a bit to talk about this time. Which is rare. Yeah. Uh, we actually got to play games that were not, you know, seen by you guys on stream and other <laughs> things like that. Yeah, um, yeah, that's true. One of our good friends, Hunter, was his birthday party this weekend. Yay! Happy birthday, Hunter. Vuvuzela sounds. And we get, went over to his house, and because, of course, he's a friend of ours, he plays board games. Right. Uh, and you guys have heard of him. He's Leslie's husband. You know who he is. Right. And so we got to play some games at the party. Uh, one of the ones that we start, uh, tried for the first time together was Potion Explosion. Yeah, which was super fun. Uh, Leslie introduced us to it. She described it as uh, like bejeweled the game. Mm-hmm. And I can see where that comes from. So it's basically you've got like a, a physical box yeah. with five like track, like slides almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you drop uh, marbles into the box and they come down the, f- the five different slides. And then each of the marbles is... Uh, one of four different colors. So you've got black, blue, red, and yellow. Mm-hmm. And on your turn, you pluck a single marble. And if that causes two marbles of the same color to snap together, then that's an explosion. Quote, mm-hmm. And you get to take those marbles. Yep. And if taking those marbles causes an explosion, you get to take those. So and, and so on and so forth. So you're looking for these sorts of chain reactions that can get you a... Well... You want to take a bunch of marbles because that's usually good, but you don't just want marbles. The objective of the game isn't just marbles. Yeah. It's to brew potions because mm-hmm. the marbles are ingredients. Yeah. And I, I think it was just a lot of fun. I think that the way that it's made is really, really interesting. Um, and like the mechanic of having those marbles there and like, you know, them sliding down and like as as they come down, like if they keep matching, you keep getting more and more and more ingredients is just cool. I, I, I like it a lot. The way that everything is laid out makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Like the way that each of the potions, like how to make them, when to do that kind of stuff. I think in general, it's a really, really interesting game. Yeah. Oh, totally agree. And each of the, you've got, I believe, eight different types of potions in total. Yeah. Uh, and of you only which play six. Six with, will be yeah. in any given game. Um, and they, they each have unique effects. So after you brew a potion, you get points for it, but then you can also drink it, mm-hmm. uh, which gives you an additional, um, you know, you can take. Uh, one extra marble for free, which can maybe set you up for uh, creating an explosion. Yeah. You can uh, redo the effects of any previously drunk potion. Um, you can take up to one of each color from the bottom row yeah. of each of the slides. So some really powerful effects that can sort of get you you know, exactly the marble you need. But it's just fun. I, I really enjoyed it. And I'm actually I'm thinking about this now. Alchemy as a theme seems to be one of the most creative spaces in board gaming. I mean, you think about you've got this with sort of this this physical apparatus. Yeah. You've got Alchemists, which mm-hmm. is, of course, legendary for its you know, innovative, uh, completely unique sort of user interface and, and, and mechanisms mm-hmm. and, and secrets and things. So this is, I, I mean, I guess it just lends itself to interesting mechanics, but I, I don't know, it seems interesting. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, uh, I think that the theme itself, I mean, I love alchemical themes and that kind of stuff. 
mixing different potions and making different concoctions. That's something I like to do. Right. Um, so it, it's, it's just a lot of fun. And yeah, the physicality of the marbles and like just being able to put those uh, in like the spaces on the different potions mm-hmm. and how those work and how you can still drink the potions after you make them so they're not just points. They mm-hmm. are actually useful and how you get different points for all the different sets and all that was a lot of fun and i'm only just a little bit salty for how badly greg beat us all uh, hey you were within striking distance true, true. Uh, uh, but i did i did win and i did win by a fair margin over the the lowest player but i mean mm-hmm. it's it's all fun you know it's a very quick game uh, i think we the four of us finished a game that we had to learn because it teaches very fast yeah I think we finished that game in like an hour. Something like that. Yeah. And there was, was around that point. And that was in the middle of a part. Like we were at the table in the middle of the kitchen. So yeah. like there was there was people milling around, you know, there were stories being told. Mm-hmm. So like it wasn't There were know, distractions galore. Right, exactly. It's you could probably finish a game in half an hour if you were like really dedicated to it. So yeah. uh, very quick, very fun. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to playing it again. Definitely. And then I got to play a game that I've been looking forward to playing for a while. Um, when I dream, so I've heard of this. Yeah, it's it's an interesting game. It's almost like the inverse of Mysterium, where Mysterium you have one person who knows like everything and is trying to get everyone else to guess stuff. Uh, in When I Dream, you have one person who has literally a blindfold on, <laughs> and everyone else is giving one word clues like one at a time. And they're, they're divided into two factions, either the fairies who are trying to make them guess correctly or the uh, boogeymen who are trying to make them guess incorrectly. And it's such an interesting balance in general because you don't want to be the person or the voice or like, have your clue be the one that's so out of left field that they don't pay attention to mm-hmm. it, especially if you're the boogeyman. But... Heck, I found that the best way of doing it, one of the better strategies is just like, let's say that uh, fork is the word that's in the middle, right? Uh, And someone says cutlery. And then I said something like slice or cut. And then they were just like, oh, knife. And then guess that because it was like plausible enough. But at the same time, it was wrong. Right. Well, and that's interesting because it's reminding me almost of Spyfall. Yeah. Where you've got, it's a very narrow, Mm -hmm. you know, path that you have to chart between you know you don't want to be too obvious in giving an incorrect answer but you also want to sort of throw off uh, yeah. the the guesser so yeah that's that's really an interesting mechanic yeah and i think unlike spyfall like the the i think the biggest thing that this has over spyfall is the fact that there are teams and not just mm. one team is the like, in spyfall you have one team that's just like all the spies and then the guesser. And then the, the odd man out, right, yeah. exactly. Whereas here you have the fairies, the boogeyman, the sandman, and the, and the, the sleeper. Or What's the, the sandman? Sandman is um, a mechanic in which one person is someone who's trying to keep the balance. So they're trying to have everything to be equal. So if if the same number of, uh, of words are guessed correctly as incorrectly, they get more points. Oh, okay. So it's kind of, uh, is pick your poison? Um, yes. You know the one I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah, where the person is trying to get it so that there's equal numbers of guessers. That's even, arguably, even harder. It is. It is, for sure. It it happened, like, twice in our game, though, which was was cool when we played. And, um, it, also, the the round or the game ends logically. It's, like, when everyone was the dreamer once, it ends. That makes sense. Yeah, makes total sense. And like the way the points go, it also makes sense. You don't keep the rolls each time. Uh, they get shuffled or uh, between every round or between every guesser. Mm-hmm. And so 
I think it's just really, really well done. Um, I mean, some things I think are a little bit lost because like the the illustrations on the cards are really cool, but at the same time, they literally do nothing. Right, they're just flavor. They're literally just flavor because you have two words on there, and it's cool because like you know you have like there are two words, one of them being covered for that game, but each of the cards is double sided, so you can you have four words on each card. So it's oh. double sided and has two words on each side, where like the the mechanism that they have is like a little bed that covers up one of the words, so you don't mm. get confused. Okay, and like the images combine the two words that are on there, which is fun, but it's completely non-mechanical because right. like it's the just... dreamer isn't even ever seeing them it's just like us being like oh what's the word that's the word okay let's try to like you know uh give hints mm-hmm. so um yeah. it's fun it's it's definitely a lot of fun very cool and then uh besides that we also played massive darkness both yes. on stream and then mm-hmm. off stream so we we had our second go at the first scenario for massive darkness on stream last week uh definitely went a lot better yeah. You know, we had we came prepared with a little equipment. We came prepared with some, you know, skills that we had invested in, which mm-hmm. enabled us to sort of jumpstart at level two. And I think pretty much from here forward, I think the campaign's gonna be fairly easy. So I'm very curious about how that's going to be, because right now we're gonna be starting at level three. Mm-hmm. And I think it'll be interesting to see because now we're going to have most of the level at level three and then we're going to get to like level four, maybe level five, depending on, on the, uh, the scenario right. and the board. But I'm, I really want the scaling to work. Right. And well, cause none of the scenarios that we've ever played in non campaign mode have even gone up to five. Yeah. They've scaled. I think the biggest one we've played is four. We've yep. played a couple of fours. And so, you know, we've never seen, we've seen greater roaming monsters because those start spawning at four, you know, but we've never seen level five guard cards. Mm-hmm. We've seen a handful of level five treasures. Yeah. But overall, I'm I'm just interested to see sort of where it goes because mm-hmm. you're right. I think a lot of how we feel at the end of the campaign is going to be based completely on the success of the scaling mechanism. You know, if it maintains a solid level of difficulty, because you're right, within the next, I would say two, maybe three uh, mm-hmm. sessions we're going to be level five we're going to start every scenario at level five and we've still got more than half the campaign to go oh we've only done gone one scenario so well, yeah, I mean, we've got at, like yeah after the yeah after we reach that point yeah. so you know it is really going to be sink or swim based on how that how that's working yeah. because i really don't want this to be like zombicide where yeah. like you know we we just couldn't deal with like the the low difficulty on regular and then the way too high difficulty when we added the extra stuff in yeah i mean so far the extra stuff seems decently balanced like they they don't seem to be too difficult well and also i mean i think i i've said it before i'll say it again massive darkness is i think a better designed game than zombicide uh and one of the things that goes into that is that the spawning mechanism is much more carefully calibrated. Yeah. You know, you've got the the event cards at the end of the round that may or may not spawn, you know, roaming monsters or advanced patrols of guards. But for the most part, it's much more controllable. The enemies that you're facing are harder, but they're more concentrated. So mm-hmm. it, it's less of this just constant like, oh, it's going to get away from you. Oh, well, you reached the tipping point. And it's much more like, okay, this is the threat we're facing now. We got to deal with it. And it's much more insistent and then gives yeah. you a little bit of time to breathe, I feel like. but Yeah, I just feel like the last uh, the last one that we went through was we breezed through it pretty much. It was and very, I, very easy. I think a lot of that has to do with us replaying it because the first mm-hmm. time we played it, we got wrecked. 
Like, well, that, I don't know. I think it actually has more to do with the fact that what levels we were by that time and what levels we were getting in terms of gear and everything. Yeah. Because, uh, and gear and skills and all that kind of stuff. Because there's only so much even like, the enemies can do when you have your uh, wizard r- rolling like the every die in yeah, the game. Yeah, he was rolling three and three. Like, like for and attack. You know, that's with level three gear. He can do that. Yeah. Because um, he's um, Baldrick, and Baldrick is OP. You heard it here first. Yeah. So it's just like when you have things like that, there's only so much that you can do in terms of like defense and that kind of stuff. Because he was rolling against full defense too. Right. So I'm I'm just curious as to how that's all going to scale. I do think as we get into sort of the higher levels of monster cards, mm-hmm. we're going to start seeing... Because right now, a lot of their defensive or offensive acumen is based on what weapon they happen to be given. Yeah. But I think we're going to start seeing a lot more enchantments on the cards themselves and also Mm -hmm. sort of just by the very nature of it you're going to start seeing monsters with more health so you're going to have also (sighs) perfectly on brand for us we have been playing wrong which is we've been playing where um when you make a single attack against a mob you just continue to inflict damage infinitely until the mob is completely dead Uh, what we've discovered is a rule that basically says the minions and the boss yeah. are both part of the mob, but they do have to be targeted separately. So if you make an attack that deals damage enough to kill the last minion, you cannot assign damage to the boss because you targeted the minions. And the yep. boss can't be targeted until either all the minions are dead or the minions are stunned. So so does stun only like you know count for either the minions or the mob? No. As well? So that is one thing that's in the book. The uh, stun does affect the entire mob. Okay. But the damage can only be assigned to minions, and then the boss in sequence. So I don't think that's too big a deal. Um, but it might you know as you get into higher levels and as the mobs start to be more and more of a challenge as opposed to just something that you steamroll over until you run into a roaming monster mm-hmm. i think that's going to be more impactful so that, that, we'll see how that goes yeah i think that that can get impact a lot of the times for the retaliation true yes the counterattacks because you know there's lots of times where it's oh with my final attack i'll be able to do this and if there's still one monster up yeah. you're going to take counter damage so yeah that's a very good point mm-hmm. all right well we'll see how that goes uh next month when we continue on with massive darkness yeah and then real quick we also played it uh at the party uh there was an, a game ongoing when we arrived that's how uh, we learned about this other rule that, that is how we learned about this other rule someone pointed it out and i hopped in they were playing four people with six characters so i i hot joined uh as ajax who is a sort of a a blasty blasty character who can resurrect uh allies which actually turned out to be extremely important because we got (laughs) completely pwned by a unicorn i think is what did Mm, the unicorn yeah so that was that was interesting um but it was honestly it was just really great to be playing with full experience progression again instead of micro experience it felt very satisfying so oh for sure but yeah so that's that's uh what we've been playing lately under the sea darling it's better down where it's wetter take it from me ow no copyrighted content oh yeah but that is a perfect segue to the game that we're playing, which is, or reviewing technically, which is Reef. Yeah, that's right. So Reef uh, is a game for two to four players. It plays very, very quickly, ages eight and up. 
uh, and it is a riff of sorts on a tile placement game. You've essentially got four different colors of coral. You've got uh, sort of salmon, yellow, green, and purple, mm-hmm. and you're putting them into a four by four grid that is your reef. Uh, and the, one of the sort of tricks here is that they can also stack. So they can stack mm-hmm. up to four high. And throughout the course of the game, you'll be looking for patterns that can emerge that enable you to score points. That's exactly. really the rough outline. Yeah, and and the, mechanically how that works is that you uh, start with two cards, and the cards are interesting. They have the top half, which is the two coral pieces that you must place in your reef, and the bottom is a scoring condition. And so you have a choice on your turn to either play one of the cards that you have from your hand and place those reefs and score those points, or you can take one of the cards that are from the middle. You can either take one of the three visible cards, or you can pay one victory point in order to take one card at random from the top of the deck. And so that is most of the how the game works. When you place the reef, you can place it on any of the four by four tiles. Um, you can place it on top of any reef up to four tall. And yeah. You go. You take a card or you play a card and then that's it. Next person's turn. You take the points. You have like little point tokens. Boom, collect those. And that's it. Yeah, I mean, it's really straightforward. You're sort of looking to optimize when you play a card. You want to take coral types that are advantageous for you for future scoring conditions. But you also want to, you know, play a card that's going to score you points based on your current configuration in your reef. So it's quick, you know, there's some strategy to it, but it's not going to be brain burny. You yeah. know, it's very uh, rapid pace of play. It sort of rewards quick returns. Mm-hmm. You know, you can you can put together, you can spend 10, 15 turns drawing cards. Um, but really, I think the sweet spot for the game is that you're going to kind of want to turn over. What did you say? You're looking for something that's going to score points within three turns. Yeah, within three cards, or uh, three uh, three cards, um, in order to like make a combo. Right, and I think that's that's a perfectly good sort of rule of thumb. Uh, and you're just gonna you're gonna keep doing that back and forth. Play continues until one of the types of coral is depleted. Mm-hmm. So uh, the the game scales based on the number of players from 18 at two players to 28 of each uh, uh, of each. Yes, very very important of each. Um, in, in the piles at four players. And then once that's out, you finish the round and everybody's done. Everybody mm-hmm. gets uh, one last chance to score the cards that are in their hand mm-hmm. with the sort of uh, the punishment being that if there is a scoring condition in your hand at the end of the game, you can only score that once, mm-hmm. no matter how many times that particular configuration appears in your reef. So normally, if you've got a card that gives you, for example, a... Uh, two points per green and red that are orthogonally adjacent and you have four iterations of that normally you would score eight points but if you're still holding that at the end of the game you would only score two because you can only score it once so um it definitely rewards getting through all of your cards and sort of making conscious plays Mm -hmm. in that way Um, but there is a little bit of a, a safety valve in case you can't get to it or someone ends the game prematurely. Yeah. And scoring is interesting because uh, of that fact that you can score during the the game itself, that you can score each of the scoring conditions multiple times. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could even score like the, the ones that have the highest scoring conditions, like the box of four, uh, two by two of one color. And you could score those up to four times because you can score them as many of that pattern as you have, 
but you can never use the same column twice. And right. also it's only whatever is on top that counts. So if you have, you know, green, yellow, yellow, red, it's only the red that, that that's on top that actually counts. So you can't use that for, you know, your two stack of yellow or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and that in general, like, I think it's, it's an interesting way of just, you know, trying to get as many of those as possible. Like, you know, uh, do I wait for, you know, one more of these cards that's that's red to add, like to get how many points would that earn me versus how many points could I get right now and would be able to work on something else or something like that? Mm -hmm. And how much synergy do you have with the types of coral that you're placing and the types of coral that you need in your for your scoring conditions? Right. And because you're sort of assembling both your reef and your scoring conditions on the fly, it's very much a game that rewards decisions on the margins. You know, you you have a card in your hand that you're building towards and you're kind of configuring your reef in such a way so that you'll be able to score X number of points here. But if suddenly a card comes along in the center row that you could take better advantage of now or that, that works better in your buildup than another card that's already in your hand, you know, you can interrupt your your sort of sequence yeah. in order to pick that up. So, you know, you're, you're constantly looking for ways to optimize, but it's on the fly. It's not this big engine buildy, you know, make this decision and then, you know, XYZ decisions and then finally execute. You're constantly executing, you're fine tuning on the fly. Um, and I think it's, it's a fun way to play. Yeah. And I think another thing that really makes it enjoyable is the pieces. Oh, very much so. The pieces themselves are great. You've got these thick, plastic, very colorful, stackable pieces that are just, uh, they are both, you know, color independent. So it doesn't matter. You know, each one has a different shape. If you're mm -hmm. colorblind, you'll still be able to see everything. And the game itself is completely language independent. As long as you have the rules in whatever language uh, you need, everything else is just pictures and colors right so it's really really good for that it's really easy for people to be able to pick up and play doesn't matter where you are you can teach this to your your family like yeah i think that you know the game says from eight and up i think you play those with slightly younger children like the oh, pieces are nice and big and like fun to pick up fun to play with but the strategy is enough to like you know uh, have someone interested like you know that's older as well so yeah yeah, no, definitely uh, functions on a lot of different levels, uh, and I think is is fairly successful on a lot of those. You know, it's a perfect um, sort of filler game. You know, it, it yeah. plays very quickly, especially if you've only got two players. You know, the mm -hmm. pools are smaller, the turns back and forth are very fast. You know, I could absolutely see playing Reef before you know major game night gets started. You know, we're waiting yeah. for people to show up for Seafall or mm -hmm. for Gloomhaven. You know, whatever the case may be, we just bust out a game of Reef, play it in 15 minutes. You yeah. Know? Uh, and so I think it, it fills that slot fairly nicely. It does. It does. It's a, it's a very quick, very easy, um, low, like, no brain burning. Like you're just going through and playing. Right. Yeah. Low. <laughs> it's a low drain on your CPU. Yes, exactly. You don't need a lot of RAM for it's it. It's a background process. <laughs> um, but that said, you know, there are uh, a few issues that we can identify with the game. And I think first and foremost is sort of the randomness yeah. of uh, the cards that come out, specifically with relation to uh, the colors of coral that are available. So the only way to take coral is to play a card. And the only way to acquire cards is from the center. 
So, you know, if you have a run that you go on where, you know, there's just no green cards, for example, Mm -hmm. coming up, that's really going to hamstring you if the scoring conditions that you've invested in rely pretty heavily on green. And yeah, you can pivot, but maybe by the time you've pivoted, other people have pulled ahead of you or... You know, you complete your pivot, and then suddenly green starts to come out. So, it's, or the game ends. Or the game ends, right? Because then you know there is a very real probability that the the end will just creep up on you. So, you know, there's some ways to mitigate it. The the mechanic where you can uh, pay a point, which is a relatively low cost, mm-hmm. uh, in order to draw off the top of the deck and sort of gamble, is not something that I think needs to be used very often, yeah. but uh, is very important to have. Oh, for sure. I mean, um, like, the last game that we played, I, I needed that. Right. Like, without that, I would have been screwed. Right. But even that can only get you so far. Mm-hmm. Um, You're you still know. getting randomness. Right. Yeah, and, and so I think that, that sort of uh, uh, is a, mm-hmm. a bit of a mark against the game. Yeah, I think in general that randomness, uh, because you also get the randomness in scoring conditions, which is less, I think, bad because in general, like, each of the scoring conditions is unique and uh, there are enough of them that you can, you can make do with what you've got. But that is also random. So, like, if you if you just happen to pull a lot of yellow cards, at some point there will be a yellow uh, scoring condition that comes out. And I think that the way that they're mixed, like, you'll usually get one. I don't think I ever had too much of an issue with that. But at the same time, it was really the placing of the coral that really killed me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, this is something. The next one that I'm going to mention is something that I feel I don't like about the game. Uh, not necessarily that it's a bad mechanic in the game, but I just don't like it. And that is the fact that the coral that you place and the scoring is on the same card. I don't like having those two intertwined as much. I think, for me anyway, that really uh, creates a almost dissonance in in the way that I play the game because as soon as I get I, I'm the kind of person who loves to optimize like things <laughs> very true. very hard it's just like you know if I, I want to get the best optimization so when I have a card that has a scoring condition I almost refuse to play it without actually getting the scoring condition at least once so that would then mean that I need to get a different card with the scoring condition that I can get that can help me complete this other scoring condition mm-hmm. and then it becomes like this whole other chain that really pretty much makes me lose this game yeah like it that, that's been my experience so far that i have not won a single one of these games and i think it's mostly because of that and just because that that's how i'm wired that's how i work yeah i definitely i mean i can see where you're coming from i think mm-hmm. that for particularly for someone with your approach to games and we've you know i feel like we've probably commented on this before is shared by a fair number of people especially mm-hmm. people who are more accustomed to the sort of heavy strategies into you know terraforming mars agricola style of of game um but i i mean i am gonna gonna disagree i think it's it's fine i am a big fan of multi-use cards Mm -hmm. i i enjoy sort of the not symmetry necessarily but the compatibility of having you know okay well i can do this for this one thing but i can also do it for this other thing and it's not something that really trips me up i i don't know that i would consider that a mark against the game but i can absolutely see it being sort of negatively impactful for a substantial portion of, of I think gamers. part of it for me is also just the fact that how much you have you have to give up in a turn in order to get the card and then you have another turn that you have you use to play the card so that's like you know if you're just doing that to only get one half of whatever that card is doing mm-hmm. to me that just 
that bothers me a bit and I, I don't like it. And I think it's a partially that like kind of investment. So that's why I always try to go for, you know, as much as I can out of each card, even if it means that I'm ultimately not doing as much as I can with each card. Mm-hmm. Right. You no, know, and I, I, I absolutely get that. I think, again, it comes back to sort of that decision making on the margins, right? You yeah. have to think about, okay, is the the value that I'm going to get out of playing this card now in order to fuel earlier access to this scoring condition worth maybe missing out on its own scoring condition versus spending the time spending maybe even the resources if i have to dig off the top of the deck in order to get a card that's going to enable this and then start that chain so um yeah i think it's it's uh <laughs> you're, you're you're almost taking a game that is not brain birdie and you're making it brain birdie yeah. because that's sort of where mm-hmm. you live right that's kind of how your your head process works but um but I do, I do definitely get where you're coming from. And if, for those of you listening, let us know what you think. You know, are you the type of person who enjoys this sort of mechanic where you've got these multi-use cards and you kind of have to make do as best you can? Or would you prefer if they were separated somehow? Are you someone who wants to try to get absolute maximum efficiency out of, out of every single thing? We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, exactly. And then we have uh, just the, this is more of a comment, I think, than no game is perfect. But this game is very much empty calories. It's just like it's it's just something you put on the table, you play and forget about. Right. Which, I mean, like we said uh, earlier, can be good, mm-hmm. but it's also not necessarily for everyone. And so it's just something that you have to be aware of when you're selecting a game. You're like, OK, am I wanting something where I'm going to sit down, work a little harder? Or am I wanting something that's just going to you know be quick, one and done? Mm hmm. Exactly. So all that being said, Greg, what are your thoughts? I'm going to go with play it, I think. Um, you know, it's an enjoyable game. I like sort of where it's at. I like the rapid pace of it. And I love the, the very, the bold design, the bold colors, the pieces, as you mentioned, are, I think, fantastic and not something you really see a lot. Like there's lots of gorgeous games that are very fiddly, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's a word that we use a lot in that they're, they've got lots of little pieces and lots of very intricately designed pieces, certainly miniatures games. Um, but I think there's something to be said for just these nice, bold components. Uh, but it doesn't feel like a game I need to buy. Um, I think I'm, I made the comment that this is, I think, a perfect game for someone who is thinking about opening up a, a board game tavern. Yeah. Right, because I think it's you know it's quick, it's fun, it's simple, it's something that as long as you grasp the core mechanics, which are not hard, you can continue playing into a light state of inebriation. Yeah. Uh, so I think that is sort of the the niche for this game, but I'm perfectly happy playing it there and not buying it for my personal collection. Yeah, I'm going to say that for me this is a skip it. I think that just the the way that I work and the way that I work with this game just doesn't mesh very well. Whenever I'm playing it, I actually get into the brain burning kind of thing where I'm just like, oh no, I've got to like, you know, make use of every single one of these scoring conditions as much as I can. I think the last time we played, we were, we were talking about how I played, I think two cards in the entire game that I didn't take the scoring conditions on where you played at least like three or four in just the mid to late game. Yeah. So like to me, that's, that's just like, it pulls on me a little bit in, in a way that I don't really like. And altogether, like I think that this is a game for me is a little bit forgetful. Like I I can play it, and the mechanics are easy enough. It's easy enough to um, to get through. I think the, the most remarkable thing about this game are the actual components. Mm-hmm. Like the components are very nice, and that stays with me. But anything else is just like 
I could take it or leave it. It's it's nothing that really tickles any part of my fancy. So like for me, it's not the type of game that I would like, uh, and I think you can safely skip it, in my opinion. Well, there you go. Dueling opinions here on uh, this particular review. Before we go, we're going to talk about a couple of games that we think are similar to Reef. If you like them, you may like this and or vice versa. The first of these is Century Spice Road, uh, another one from Emerson Matsuchi, the same designer. There's a lot of similarity here. You're sort of building up this sequence of cards that you're wanting to execute in a very particular order that's going to give you uh, the, the greatest bang for your buck. The difference with Century, obviously, is that that sequence of cards can be recurring. You know, you can pick that back up. Whereas in Reef, it's just one and done. So if you're looking, if you like a lot of the core gameplay of Reef, you like this sort of clever building of a, of a sequence that you can execute on, um, but you wish there was something a little bit more crunchy there, definitely check out Century Spice Road. Yeah. And then I think another one is Einstein. This is Einstein, His Amazing Life and Incomparable Science. This is pretty much anagram the board game. Uh, so you have all these different shapes that you are working on a board together uh, in the middle, and you, you each have certain scoring conditions to get points. And I think it's just it's a lot of fun because uh, you get to like do the whole placement thing. You're, this one is different than Reef in that you're working together and you don't have your individual boards. So you have uh, you have this common board that you're putting all these shapes together, and you have these scoring conditions that. Uh, have very specific orders and uh, orientations of the different shapes that you need to have in these different ways. And you get to use both your shapes and the ones of other people's, which they have placed, in order to get them all in the right spots and be able to score your things. And I really like it. I really like the, the positioning aspect of it, and I really like the collaborative aspect of it, where it's like you're not actually working together. You still get points uh, independently but you still have to have like this uneasy alliance of just like, yeah, I'm going to put this here and like it might help them, but it helps me more kind of thing. So uh, if you like the kind of placement aspect and like the the shape aspect of Reef, definitely check out Einstein. And there you go. That's our complete review of Reef. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Dragon's Demise. We hope that you enjoyed it. Be sure to join us this week on Wednesday when we will be having our monthly variety stream. Uh, so we're on Twitch, we're on YouTube, uh, subscribe, like, all that kind of stuff. We will be streaming, we don't know exactly which game yet, we usually have some fun with all different kinds, sometimes we even play multiple games in a stream. It's a lot of fun. So definitely tune in for that. And then we have another stream of Gloomhaven happening on Friday, so tune in for that and uh, that's going to be a lot of fun as well. And be sure to join us next week for another episode of Dragon's Demise.